Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good evening, and how is everyone doing tonight? I hope everyone is well, and welcome to a brand new episode of You Got It, The Sea Report. And I'm your host, Mr. C, coming to you live on this Friday, January 21, 2022. Hope everyone is doing well out there as we are coming to the conclusion of yet another week, ladies and gentlemen, here in this, the first month of the year. Well, gosh, this week went by fast. The day went by fast. I really don't know where the day went, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but either way, we are uh, rip-roaring and are ready to get her done today here at the Sea Report. And I'm glad you are along the journey with us this evening. Uh, we are broadcasting live on the foxhole.appill.net, Clout Hub, Twitch, DLive, and Trovo, if I'm not mistaken. And if you're joining us live tonight, I'd like to thank you for uh, accompanying us as we uh, take a spin around, uh, you know, the good old newspaper printer. Well... I don't know that you'd call it that right, but anyways, guys, what a day, what a day, what a day, ladies and gentlemen, and we have a, we have a, yeah, we have a pretty good show for you guys, so I wouldn't say it's a bad show, Aha! but uh, yeah, just a bunch of things that were going through my mind, we're going to uh, take a little spin around some of the topics that we uh, touched on yesterday, and uh, also bring you guys a story that we didn't get to get to you all yesterday. And kind of seeing uh, what we got going on here uh, as we uh, begin to advance into the night. We've got a busy night ahead of us. We'll be uh, doing it live a little bit later on tonight with another episode of Mr. C in the Dark. For those of you who don't get enough of me, one time a day. Uh, you can get to me twice on a Friday. On a good Friday, but not the good Friday. So... We'll see how it goes, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, tonight should be a fun show. Uh, we'll have a uh, guest, Java, on with us, and uh, we'll be talking uh, We'll be talking the topic of the month tonight. It's kind of a continuation of the last show that we had. Uh, no telling what we'll get into tonight as we uh, scour into uh, some of those topics. Those topics that are going to be hot topics once again. We're talking about, uh, of course... This being a Human uh, Trafficking Prevention Month. So we'll spill into that, ladies and gentlemen, for just a little bit. And then, uh, well, we'll see where we go from there. I'm sure it will be a great conversation, and I encourage you all to join us. If uh, you haven't yet, or if you are interested. And let's see what we got going on here tonight in uh, the chat rooms. Good evening, the Joyful Lily, Railing on Posse for Hope. 
Thanks for joining us over there at the foxholeandpill.net. And, and uh, Relanon, thank you for the 117 gold pills, sir. Glad to hear it that you are with us again tonight, sir. Always good to see you. Always good to see you. All right, guys, let's see. What do we got for you guys tonight? We have a couple of President Trump statements. One of them, I was like, oh, okay, that, that's pretty interesting. That's a pretty good statement. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, we'll get to it. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll get, I mean, it, once I read the statement, it's really nothing to laugh about, right? But anyways, uh, and then another statement uh, doubling down on the situation that's going on over there in the state of Georgia, you know, with the uh, the the uh, crooked DA. Oh, and that, that actually reminds me. The crooked DA, uh, you know, uh, going after uh, President Trump's perfect phone call. Uh, I'm sure you guys all recall that perfect phone call. Um, oh, wait. You probably think I'm talking about that phone call with uh, President Trump and President Zelensky, aren't you? Well, apparently, all of President Trump's calls are golden. Uh, because in this case, uh, of course, he's talking about his perfect phone call with uh, one Brad Raffensperger. Now, I don't deny that Trump has uh, has exceptional, uh, you know, phone call abilities, conversational. Uh, but I would have to say that to have the perfect phone call, perhaps the uh, participant should also uh, have some involvement in that phone call being perfection. Uh, in the case of President Zelensky and President Trump, I mean, it was a perfect phone call. Uh, you know, you could tell there was a reception on both ends of the line. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a, a, an interesting conversation by both parties. But when we're talking about that phone call, Brad Raffensperger, and let's not forget that that phone call uh, was dissected and cherry-picked and uh, propagandized and spun in the mainstream, lamestream, fake news media just to get their own point of view across the finish line. Well, I wouldn't know if it was such a perfect phone call. You know, uh, Brad Raffensperger was very resistant to President Trump. And, uh, you know, for all of the what? 30, 20 seconds that uh, was uh, sensationalized across the news. Uh, if you heard the phone call, and uh, I know the audience here at the Sea Report did hear that phone call. We played the whole thing. Uh, it was like a 40-minute conversation, maybe more. And, of course, uh, the uh, mainstream press, if you want to call them that, all they do is press their opinions, right? Uh, they just uh, absolutely... Um, uh, tore into <clears throat> uh, President Trump's uh, frustrations by highlighting uh, what was uh, uh, inevitably the end of that phone call, guys. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see. Yeah, President Trump, it was a perfect phone call. It was on your part. Brad Raffensperger, though, you can always hear the dishonesty in a liar's voice if you uh, have a well-trained ear. So, uh, man, I tell you what... For a, for a guy who knew exactly what was going on down on the ground there in the state of Georgia at the State Farm Arena on Election Day plus five, I just uh, don't see it uh, on his end as uh, being, you know, uh, totally forthcoming towards um, President Trump's uh, inquiries, I guess you could say. 
All right. So yeah, so that that brings up another DA. I'm glad I mentioned the DA over there in Georgia. I'm glad President Trump did a double down on it because uh we had a we had a story uh for you guys last night also uh, that we didn't run and uh well, you guys are going to get to hear it tonight. So uh let me go ahead and do a little bit of on the air uh ad- amendment to tonight's show. Why don't we put this one right at the front? We'll focus on this one first. Oh, you see that ugly face. You know what the, you know what it's going to be about, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, guys. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And uh, all right. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's report. I can't be running late tonight. Otherwise, uh, I won't make it in time to uh, Mr. C in the dark. And, uh, well... Well, we all know how it feels when someone's running late. I had a, uh, I had the joyful Lily. She was, she was here for, she got here before I did, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, guys. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into uh, President Trump's statement. The first statement for tonight is the one that kind of tickled me. Uh, <laughs> let's see what she's got to say. By she, I mean the statement. But obviously, our president has not undergone any type of sexual reassignment surgery. So don't you fear, guys. I am not confused, nor is he. Okay, expanding it for the audience, it says here, Meatloaf was a great guy. Got to know him very well doing a Celebrity Apprentice. He was smart, talented, open, and warm. His success was enormous. We all loved him. Meatloaf will be greatly missed. Meatloaf, eh? (laughs) I I mean, okay, guys, uh, forgive me if I step on any toes, but, uh, you know, Meatloaf is a little bit before my time. The only thing I remember about him is that really dramatic music video about him doing anything for love. And I had to ask, I always wondered, actually, what was it that he would not do for love? (laughs) There's probably a lot of things he would not do for love. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Just in my mind, this entire, like, uh, sketch just plays out about the demands of his uh, girlfriend and or wife or whatever. But uh, I guess that's neither here nor there. Um, Yeah, so, uh, and then the other thing I thought of, of course, was, uh, um, you know, uh, he must have had a really good, uh, a really good position with President Trump to get a mention by our president, you know. Uh, But then, of course, at the same time, I had absolutely no idea that uh, he had been on a Celebrity Apprentice because, you know, I don't watch much television, let alone uh, reality shows at the time. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I was, I mean, I was never a fan of President Trump before he was president, before I voted for him, before I realized that the establishment and the media and big business and everyone was against him. Uh, and then I was like, well, maybe I ought to pay attention to this man who's been on TV uh, and, uh, you know, is, uh, quite popular with the Democrats and stuff like that. And, and the rappers, you know, they all, they all used to be in his back pocket. Not anymore so much, not anymore so much. And, you know, um, speaking of people like betraying you or turning on you, um, it, it kind of makes me think, uh, about that statement that President Trump had made. Now, this has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the Democrats and the rappers betraying President Trump, but uh, much more those right now. 
when he said that, uh, you know, one of these days that he would like to lose everything so that he could find out who were his true allies, friends, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, pretty interesting, huh? Pretty interesting statement. Do you think that this man might actually have more of a strategy than uh, is letting on? Do you think that this man, who has a clear pattern of setting up strategies and uh, also uh, setting up particular situations that tend to out people, do you think that perhaps, do you think that perhaps uh, uh, there could be something else going on here? I mean, after all, it's pretty clear that none of the people who've ever opposed him have taken the time to study his moves and his strategy. Clearly, there could be something else going on here, guys, but that is also a conversation for another time. Perhaps a conversation we could have in the dark sometime. Hmm. The possible debates about whether or not there is something else going on behind the scenes. But yeah. Uh, show is great. Try to catch him. Are you talking about meatloaf? Cause he's dead. <laughs> and the meatloaf is dead. You know, I never liked meatloaf growing up, but I'm not talking about the singer now. I'm talking about the food. Uh, but the food is, uh, the food is, uh, it's, it's grown on me, but, uh, I still don't accept anything about this ketchup being on meatloaf that no, you know, ketchup on meatloaf. Anyways, a nice gravy, I think is pretty good with it. Uh, what did meatloaf die of? Because, you know, uh, we closed out 2021 with like almost 600 celebrities dying or passing away or committing suicide or something, right? Almost 600 celebrities. Now, I thought that that number was astoundingly high. Uh, we are talking about uh, not just celebrities, but people involved in the entertainment industry uh, on all different levels. You know, we're talking from actors to models to uh, um, music writers to directors to, uh, you know, script writers, the whole shebang. Um, so I was like, wow, that's a pretty high number of celebrities to have died in a single year. Um, and you know, our conspiratorial minds tend to run away with us in that effect. So I actually looked up, you know, uh, how many celebrities have passed in recent years, the number per year. So in uh, 2021, we had, you know, over 500, I think it was north of 550 or right around there. Uh, but, but in 2019 and in 2018 and 2020, I think in 2017, we had, it was, it was on average of uh, less than a hundred, no more than 150. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, well, between, uh, between those four years and, uh, 2021, well, 2021 is quite exceptional. Um, I was like, well, you know, uh, what could possibly explain this uh, strange uh, phenomenon of uh, mass celebrity and entertainment industry die off? But then I looked at like 2015, 16, and it, it was in the 500s. And then I think again in like 2013. So I was like, okay, I guess it's not so uncommon to have a, a mass die off of uh, celebrities. But you know, um, 
I mean, it's very fair to say a lot of the celebrities that have passed uh, in 2021, they were all, you know, north of like 70, like uh, the majority of them, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's fair to say that the grand conspiracy here can be pinned on uh, they whom they call the Grim Reaper or, you know, natural causes or whatever it is, you know. But uh, I mean, nothing to report here, governor, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, uh, th- do they have any report on how he died? Uh, Meatloaf, his name was Marvin Lee Aday. He died uh, Thursday. That would be today. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I haven't heard any mention about the Vax being involved in this, of course. Uh, but it doesn't look like they gave a reason. No cause or details were given. But a day had numerous health scares over the years. I would imagine that he did. I would imagine that he did. Just, just, uh, just on the look of him, um, you know, uh, what, what was that guy's name? Louis Anderson. Louis. Uh, he passed away as well. I didn't. Uh, oh, I think they said he died of cancer or something like that. Uh, you know, right now, anytime someone. Uh, that has some relevance uh, towards, uh, you know, p- the public eye. Uh, all of us conspiratorial types are like, what did they die of? And then, of course, you know, you have everyone looking to see about whether or not uh, they had taken the vaccines or the boosters, the boosters. And, uh, you know, if there's any correlation between that. But I believe uh, Louis Anderson died of cancer. So, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I liked him in coming to America and, uh, I actually watched life with Louie when I was a child growing up because I could relate to the chubby little boy because I was a chubby little boy, uh, so to speak. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, we have, uh, we have two, uh, two other individuals, two other celebrity passing away today. And, uh, well, I mean, I mean, yesterday, I apologize. Such is life, as they say. Such is life. Well, Louis Anderson died this morning, and uh, Meatloaf died yesterday. Ooh, they better take care of that Meatloaf before it spoils. All right, so yeah, well, that was uh, that was just off of President Trump's, uh, his little statement there. Well, I wonder if that's his taste in music. Anyways... <laughs> Oh my goodness, the jokes I could tell. Uh, let's see here. Joyful Lily says, woo, woo. <laughs> Was waiting and eager. Um, <laughs> what he won't do for love will forever be a mystery now. <laughs> I was like, what won't he do? Come on. Inquiring minds want to know. Come on, meatloaf. Uh, let's see here. I understand his logic with that statement. Are we talking about uh, losing everything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine. Imagine if in, uh, you know, a, a microcosmic kind of way, uh, losing that presidency, Suppo- optically speaking. I'll always say optically speaking. Sorry, my contacts are dry so much right now. I will always say optically speaking whenever we talk about Trump uh, not being in the White House, of course, because he is still the president. Uh, you know, I used to be know if I could say used to be, but I have been of the mind that, uh, you know, uh, he, he lets little Joe go play president. So this way, uh, he could run amok in this country and everyone would then see the air of their judgment. 
Uh, but I mean, but there is a whole lot more to it than just that, isn't there, ladies and gentlemen? Because uh, while everyone else might see the error of their judgment, they will always have the, uh, you know, the loud speakerphone or, uh, you know, the bullhorn in their ears that is the propaganda press telling them that everything is not what it seems. And Joe Biden just completed his first year with grand overachievement trophies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And plus, he did not poop his pants. So, um, yeah. I mean, and then, of course, that uh, creates that uh, that uh, social spin. Uh, it, it, te- it sends everyone into a tailspin of some, some kind of confusion because in their hearts, they know nothing is right or something is wrong. But uh, the TV is telling them otherwise. And if the TV is saying it, it has to be true. Uh, because then, uh, you know, they can confirm it with their friends who also saw on the TV. And so since their friends are saying it, it has to be true. Yeah, it kind of sounds like uh, those wrap-up smear campaigns, you know, or or when, you know, they leak information to uh, the press. And by they, I, of course, mean, uh, you know, government officials or, or how about agencies who are involved in an investigation. They leak it to the press and then they go and cite the press as their source for their information. Well, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, just because you want to say that President Trump uh, received phone calls from Fox News and Hannity and his daughter and everyone else under the moon about January 6th, just because you project that on Trump uh, doesn't mean that he listens to the press and uh, just like, you know, other agencies do. What a vicious cycle of lies that is produced in that, don't you think? I think so. It's almost like, well, Rachel Maddow said that the J6 committee was an insurrection, as if though she were some type of uh, some type of an expert, you know, on the entire matter, as if though she didn't have a bias. Yeah, it's true, ladies and gentlemen, it is true. Uh, Let's see here. Ah, episodes of The Apprentice. That might be what you're talking about. Hey, Peeled by the Rabbit, what's going on tonight? Hopping in for a bit of working and a lurking. All right. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. All Apprentice shows did care for Trump till watched this live. I live here in New York. The unions hate Trump. Oh, I don't doubt that the unions hate Trump. Posse for hope. Don't you remember what the unions did to President Trump? The the AFL-CIO, pardon me. Teaming up with big business and uh, politi- politicians uh, to ensure that uh, 2020 went off without a hitch in regards to uh, keeping Trump out of office. Mm-hmm. Yep, they wrote about it in the New York Times. They published an article. They told their tale. They wanted to be superheroes. They outed themselves. And then, well, I guess we'll have to see if that catches up with them. Yep, indeed. Good evening, 123SKG. Good to see you. How are you doing tonight? All right, guys. All right. So let's go on to the second statement from our president. So here he is doubling down on the DA and the state of Georgia in regards to their investigation of of his phone call and other general election 2020 um, uh, matters. Now... Brad Raffensperger was all but too happy to uh, comply with this investigation that's being um, uh, 
being uh, conducted by, what was her name again? Fanny, what you talking about, Willis, the crooked DA from Georgia? Uh, he's like, well, you know, yeah, like if, if there's going to be a grand jury, well, we always have to go along with grand juries. And, and, you know, if, if some, if the law was broken, yeah, then absolutely we're going to do it. I mean, come on, Bradford, really? I mean, he even, we even played that interview with Bradford Raffensperger and John Solomon from, uh, just the news. And, uh, he asked him, uh, what he thought about it. Bradford didn't seem to have any PTSD over that phone call, but you know, then again, I guess, um, I, I submit to you all that his tears at night that stay in his pillow come from the investigation that he is now being forced to conduct at the hands of True the Vote and the ballot trafficking, is what I think, ladies and gentlemen. But let us read this uh, statement here from President Trump. He says, so let me get this straight. I am being investigated in Georgia for asking an attorney general with many lawyers and others uh, knowingly on the phone to look for corruption, which definitely took place in the Georgia presidential election, but the people who committed the crime are in no way, shape, or form under investigation and are instead being protected? The people looking for the crime are being hounded, and the people who committed the crime are being protected. This is not the American way. And I would, oh, wrong screen. I would absolutely agree with President Trump here, and not just because I voted for the man, uh, beca but because obviously, as we've been discussing here at the Sea Report and sharing the information and the news about, uh, you know, the 2020 election fraud, the fraud is real. And uh, there's, there's stacks and stacks growing of empirical evidence mounting that prove that. Now, of course, you'll have people who will uh, combat that with, well, you have to prove, uh, you know, intent, you know, because otherwise they could just say clearly uh, that it was human error, thinking about Michigan, uh, you know, or that it's an urban myth, thinking about uh, Georgia, you know, or that uh, it just, uh, it was a mismanagement of some type. And uh, those arguments are meant to hold water across the board in all of the states where they've been conducting these investigations. And, uh, you know, the evidence is there. I mean, the, the thing about it is, you know, when they had the election hearings in November and December of uh, 2020, um, those that were headed up by Rudy Giuliani and President Trump's uh, illegal team, um, they were really paving the pathway for what really should be the role of the citizens in this country. Uh, and, you know, bless them for doing it and bless all of those thousands of people across the country who submitted affidavits on penalty of perjury telling their story of what they saw and what they experienced in the 2020 presidential election. 
Uh, and you know, I just, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's one of those, uh, I don't know, uh, collective mental, you know, things where you have uh, suddenly thousands of Americans submitting affidavits. Like, I don't think you could organize that many people on, you know, a meetup or a Facebook group, you know, like, uh, to, to go out and do that, to actually, uh, do the legwork and, uh, write up those affidavits, sign them, know that, knowing that they could, uh, be a fined or thrown in jail for lying, you know, on a, uh, a, a document that is uh, illegally bound, you know, and, uh, has ramifications if violated. It just does not make sense. You know, there's, there's nothing that you could say that would make me believe that, uh, you know, over a thousand Americans would do that. Um, and so, you know, and those affidavits of course were largely ignored, right? Because, uh, well, they had no standing to be there. Well, Giuliani and the legal team for President Trump laid down the track works and uh, the American people concerned and also uh, probably a little bit mad about, uh, you know, everything that they'd experienced and seen. Not to mention that, you know, uh, uh, it was pretty, pretty obvious that uh, someone who could never muster the votes to beat someone like Donald Trump had been installed as a president. Uh, you know, they, uh, they laid all that foundation down for us. And now, you know, uh, we, uh, we, the people, we have uh, backed them up. We've done our work. We've done our investigations. And now we have standing, okay? Now we have standing. Uh, because after all, it takes a representative of that state, a citizen in that state, uh, to do the work, as, uh, as it were. So, uh, all right. Well, you know, speaking of... Speaking of um, corrupt DAs, uh, you know, yesterday we read the article about the DA in Georgia, the district attorney, uh, who is heading up this investigation into President Trump's perfect phone call with Bradford Raffensperger. And again, that, that DA's name is uh, Fanny Willis, right? Uh, so it brought to mind um, uh, the fact that uh, we did have one George Soros actually on some type of uh, quest or campaign or mission to uh, to install his own or install DAs that were more willing to see things his way uh, into the various states in this country. He did it with uh, district attorneys. He did it with uh, attorney generals. He did it with uh, secretaries of state. Those three particularly were uh, of great interest to the man. Now, uh, like I said, uh, these guys were not necessarily his people, right? Uh, but they are people who probably aligned with his points of view as far as politics and the world. And so he, uh, he uh, blessed them with, uh, with blessings of money and uh, donations to their campaign. Uh, so we actually had an article to share with you guys that came out of uh, Breitbart. Let me go ahead and get this in a nice... A fancy way. So we'll, let's take a look at this, guys, because this article breaks down George Soros's, uh, you know, um, mission into uh, buying out or supplying prosecutors 
in the United States of America. And uh, this guy, I tell you what, he is everywhere. He just doesn't seem to go away. And, uh, well, let's see what this article has to say. It's a pretty interesting read. It says, uh, the Soros dozen big city prosecutors backed by George Soros. And it goes like this. Let me see here. Okay. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead and read this article. It says here, Left-wing billionaire and Democrat donor George Soros has turned his attention in recent years to local races for prosecutor using his money to elect progressives who push criminal justice reform and support the Black Lives Matter movement. The rise of these Soros-backed prosecutors has coincided, uh, has coincided with a massive surge in murder and crime in many Democrat-run cities, including many where these prosecutors have implemented radical policies toward policing and incarceration. Most recently, for example, Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon has uh, faced criticism for his radical reforms in the year since he took office while murders soared. The city last year experienced 397 murders, up 11.8% from 355 the previous year, and a 53.9% increase from the 258 in the pre-pandemic year of 2019, Los Angeles Magazine noted. These murders included the shooting death of Jacqueline Avant, a black music producer, oh, sorry, a black philanthropist and the wife of legendary music producer Clarence Avant, who was killed during a robbery. Gascon blamed the system for her death. Most recently, a young woman, Brianna Kupfer, was stabbed to death in broad daylight in the furniture store where she worked. Her alleged killer was out on bail for a 2020 arrest in Los Angeles and a 2019 arrest in South Carolina. Her father blamed politicians who had let criminals roam free, a growing uh, sentiment in cities where Soros-backed prosecutors rule. Many of the candidates Soros-backed have received support, directly or indirectly, from a network of groups with names like Justice and Public Safety Pack. The Influence Watch websites describe source organizations as the Safety and Justice Network, a project of left-leaning uh, billionaire Soros um, that used a network of similarly named state-level PACs to finance the campaigns of progressive Democrat uh, candidates for district attorney in more than a dozen of America's cities. Soros-backed prosecutors include uh, Los Angeles uh, County District Attorney George Gascon. Elected in 2020, he, out he ousted incumbent DA Jackie Lacey, the first black woman to hold the job, and has prided himself on reducing prison sentences even as violent crime has soared in L.A. Uh, Cook County State Attorney, uh, State's Attorney Kim Fox of Chicago. Fox became notorious for her intervention in the Juicy Smoulier case, dropping charges against the actor for a hate crime hoax. Smoulier was later convicted. 
Chicago hit 800 homicides in 2021. Uh, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. Soros supported Krasner with nearly $1.7 million in spending in 2017, more than five times as much as Krasner spent himself. Philadelphia set a new record for homicides in 2021, with 562 in total. Houston, Harris County District Attorney Kim Ogg. Ogg is considered one of the more moderate of Soros's prosecutors and had to overcome opposition from even more left-wing prosecutors in 2020. Houston's homicide rate rose 71% in 2021. Dallas County District Attorney John Cruzet or Cruzot, Cruzot dropped prosecution prosecutions for thefts of personal items valued at less than $750, among other radical reforms, and was reduced to reminding residents that theft was still against the law. San Antonio, Bear County District Attorney Joe Gonzalez. Gonzalez has been described as one of Soros's favorite DAs, presiding over a stunning 52% increase in homicides in San Antonio. Since uh, 2019, though violent crime was down overall. Phoenix District Attorney Paul Penzoni, Penzoni the jabroni. Soros spent millions to defeat Joe Arpaio and support Penzoni, uh, who gained national attention in 2020 when he resisted efforts by Republicans to audit the ballots in the controversial 2020 election. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, Gardner has faced ethical complaints over the prosecution of former Governor Eric Greitens, as well as that of Mark and Patricia McCloskey. She was kicked off the latter prosecution after using it to fundraise. East San Francisco Bay Area, Contra Costa County District Attorney, Diana Becton. Becton famously charged a couple with a hate crime for painting over a Black Lives Matter mural that was painted on a public road in Martinez, California. Those who are supported by Soros indirectly. New York Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Bragg was elected with help from the Color of Change PAC, to which Soros donated $1 million. He has banned pretrial incarceration and prison for all but homicide and a few other cases. Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, Mosby, one of the original Black Lives Matter prosecutors, reportedly took a trip abroad sponsored by a Soros-backed group. She was recently indicted on federal charges of mortgage fraud and perjury. Orlando, Ninth Judicial Circuit State Attorney Monk Worrell, uh, Worrell succeeded Soros-backed Aramis or yeah Aramis Ayala who Governor Ron DeSantis kicked off a murder case for declining to seek charges in a murder because she opposed the death penalty. A further list of Soros-backed prosecutors. Oh, I'm going to pause real quick, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I will continue with this... uh, with this article in just a minute, but uh, it seems that I have been booted off of Foxhole again. 
And so uh, I have some of the viewers asking how to find me on Twitch. So I'm just going to pop the address in real quick for them. I mean, I'm a pretty small, humble show. I don't think I'll take away anyone else's viewers. Uh -huh. I swear, I'm like the only one on Foxhole that gets kicked off this much. Okay. All right. Okay, let me go ahead and get back to this article so we can move along with tonight. I only got a few more. Well, I mean, we got some pretty heavy things, actually. Well, they're not heavy. You know, I say that, but they're not heavy, heavy. Uh, they're they're uh, points of interest. We'll say that. How about that? I hate to take uh, people out of their comfy comfiness over there in the foxhole, but uh, I mean, this is this happens all the time. Oh, would, wouldn't it? Doesn't it figure I'm live on the foxhole again? Jesus Christ. Okay. I guess all I had to do is just say, <laughs> they're like, we're going to prove you wrong, Mr. C. Uh, uh, we still love you. Okay. All right. So back to this, uh, back to this article. And uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do some extra editing on the, uh, extra editing on the uh, podcast side for tonight. Yep. Relanon, I see that I'm back. I, I did a couple of prayers and counted some beads and uh, and uh, I also burned uh, some sage and poof, I'm back on the foxhole. Apparently that works. All right, uh, back to the article. A further list of Soros-backed prosecutors current through 2019 is available through Influence Watch. These include prosecutors such as Loudoun County Commonwealth's attorney Buda Biberidge. Uh, Biberidge came under scrutiny after a parent was arrested for speaking out at a school board meeting against district policies after his daughter was sexually assaulted. Another list is available through the Capital Research Center, including descriptions of Soros-backed prosecutors' records. Not every left-wing prosecutor is directly backed by Soros. San Francisco District Attorney Chesse Boudin, or Bowden, uh, was not backed by Soros, but he received $100,000 from a PAC controlled by Soros-backed George Gascon to fight a recall election effort. In 2018, the Los Angeles Times reported that Soros had funded at least 21 local prosecutorial campaigns, though it noted that the full extent of his influence on such races was unknown, because some of his contributions flowed to nonprofit organizations and dark money groups rather than directly to campaigns. He has continued and expanded his role since. And uh, that is that, ladies and gentlemen, in regards to that article. So a little bit of inter interesting information here, guys. Um, I would definitely say that, uh, you know, uh, there, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I think it's pretty cool, though, that uh, an outfit like the Los Angeles Times is willing to acknowledge George Soros's existence, right? And so therefore, you know, the man is no longer in the cloak of shadows, as it were. Uh, they abs People absolutely uh, recognize his name. So you can't deny it. But of course, we all know that George Soros is not the end all be all. He's not the top of the uh, top of the pyramid, so to speak. He's he's more like at this point, I'm willing to bet that uh, George Soros is like uh, an upper middle henchman, you know, uh, because he uh, I mean, he he's the first face that you see and or think of. He's the front lines uh, of, uh, you know, a floor management 
for those who are in charge. Hey guys, welcome back, Foxhole. How y'all guys doing? Thank you so much for, wow, you guys did a cookie party here for a cookie, tossing your cookies. Uh, Sean Joe123SKG, thank you so much. Um, you guys, play, play friendly out there if you're going to be tossing your cookies. Okay, thank you much, thank you much. Um, Java says, dang Mercury. Well, you know, yeah, no, it doesn't have to be Mercury retrograde to get booted off of uh, the same platform all the time, you know? Uh, although yesterday was different. Yesterday I was going out on all of the platforms that I was on, but it's usually exclusively just uh, just the one platform that I get booted off of. But, uh, you know, much love to them because uh, they're growing. They are growing, and uh, you know they have to do uh, they have to do those uh, technical behind the scenes things, and uh, sometimes that affects this uh, show almost exclusively. All right, going on to the next topic. Oh, you'll forgive me. I don't think uh, I don't think I put in any of my uh, images. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's see what are we talking about next here, ladies and gentlemen. I feel so so naked. Here, this will make me feel better. Aha! <laughs> this man! Okay, I don't know. He looks funny to me, but we're not here to talk about physical appearances, ladies and gentlemen. We're here to talk about business! Okay, Relanon, thank you for the cookie. I appreciate you. Okay, so uh, yeah, th this is this is the uh, this is the cover sheet for the next topic. Uh, so yesterday we were talking a little bit about Kazakhstan, and yes, we're going to talk about Kazakhstan again today. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll we'll also get into a little bit of Russia and uh, Ukraine and uh, stuff like that. Not too much though on the other end, but I did want to uh, point out some stuff about. Um, Kazakhstan and uh, Takayev, uh, because that is all still developing, although in the uh, press, uh, you know, it's really starting to quiet down uh, in regards to uh, everything that happened over there in uh, in Kazakhstan when they were having this coup, okay? Because a lot of interesting information I was seeing. Um, the main thing, I think, uh, because, uh, you know, we have you know, divided camps on of what was really going on. And yeah, I mean, I am no, uh, I am no uh, professional, uh, you know, geopolitical anal analysis, so to speak. Um, but um, what do you call it? Uh, just, just, uh, just based off of, you know, the, the inferences and the understandings I have of uh, some of the players over there, while I could never understand their true motives, like I could not dissect Putin for you because I do not know enough about that man nor his history uh, to, to really dissect it. But on the really simple kind of uh, obvious points here, you know, when we're talking about Putin uh, and we're talking about some of the stands that he has taken or stances that he has taken uh, in, in his involvement with the neighbors and the rest of the world, and then we're relating that over to uh, the um, the uprising that happened in Kazakhstan. And then if you uh, if you uh, if you put that up against what occurred, um, you know, in Kazakhstan and Putin and all that stuff, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I kind of dispel uh, you know my my thoughts on it and share that information. So uh, you know, the the main thing here is the press was saying 
that uh, Putin uh, was not going to leave Kazakhstan. You know, they even showed a clip of one of their um, one of their uh, one of Putin's like, um, you know, security advisors saying that, uh, you know, it would be best to uh, to do an invasion of Kazakhstan and to occupy it. And they used that as as ammunition against uh, Putin in the uh, Western press. Uh, you know, so there's that. Uh, and then there's this whole thing uh, about uh, there being a coup. Uh, and then and then, of course, we had the CSTO, which is basically the equivalent of NATO. But for, uh, you know, the, the Eastern European countries. Um, so uh, that kind of threw everyone for a loop from what it sounds like. It sounds like uh, because they were expecting uh, the Russian uh, the Russian troops to stay in Kazakhstan. At least that's what they were saying to the press. Okay. Uh, now, since that time, of course, with uh, the president of uh, Kazakhstan, uh, this uh, Tokayev uh, individual on the screen here. Um, it has come out that there was a coup attempt against him. I think what uh, people on the ground in that part of the world have settled on is that uh, it was a coup that was arranged by uh, Karim Masimov, um, who is the uh, head of the, um, uh, na well, he was uh, one of the heads of the National Security Council there in T Kazakhstan, who is also the eyes and the ears of the former president of Kazakhstan, Nur Sultan uh, Nazarbayev, uh, who was also controlling the country from his seat as the head of the National Count Security Council in Kazakhstan. So Takayev never really had full control of the country as the president. Now, Karim Masimov, as we know, was arrested for treason. Okay, he was charged with treason. And so what they've kind of landed on is that this attempted coup was actually being organized by Karim Masimov. Now, as for the thousands of... Uh, Thousands of uh, of um, insurrectionists that were, you know, Islamists or who were not uh, a Kazakh, you know, uh, that still remains to uh, to be seen if that was true. Um, and I say that because uh, they have not produced any evidence about, you know, perhaps they had like a, uh, an, an Islamist terrorist insurrection insurrectionist that was shot dead. Right. Um now, the reason for that, interesting enough, one of the heads of uh, President Takayev's security says is because a lot of the insurrectionists and the uh, terrorists, the bandits uh, who attacked them, um, they actually broke into morgues and into hospitals and stole the bodies of uh, their fallen comrades uh, so as to uh, be, so as to create a, a way to deny that that was was going on on the ground there. But then, of course, we've also seen a lot of uh, stories and reports uh, from, uh, you know, citizens of Kazakhstan um, who who actually they actually verify that they had uh, people who were uh, using uh, women as shields and who were uh, saying Allah Akbar and who ha and who were armed. Um, but uh, another interesting point, I think, here is that uh, Takayev was able to get the assistance of Russia. OK, and that's where that's pretty much where we stand at this point. Um, the Western world is holding its breath 
uh, because they cannot believe that um, the Russian troops went in there as peacekeepers. And trust me, a lot of the reports that I was watching by the Western press were saying peacekeepers. Uh, yeah, what are they going to do? They're not even trained to be peaceful. Well, they went in there as peacekeepers. Uh, that is what they were listed as. And they uh, took care of the problem. Okay. Uh, and then they left. Uh, you know, the last Russian troop was gone like a day or so ago. Uh, but um, Takayev, uh, he is, uh, he's taken a hard stance against corruption. And we know that is also a popular talking point in the Middle e in the Eastern Europe European countries. Think about Ukraine, for example, which is the one that I can't really get my head around when we're talking about President Zelensky, uh, because uh, he took a hard stance against corruption. He was elected on an anti-corruption platform because Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries, uh, historically speaking, uh, that uh, we know in modern times. Um, let's check out this real quick report. Oh, I have to... Bye, Takayev. Let's check out this real quick report uh, where it talks about the real reasons behind the Kazakhstan protest. And as we know, uh, even President Takayev has said it's because the people of Kazakhstan were not happy. The people of Kazakhstan were tired of the corruption, okay? And, uh, and it was all because of uh, Nazarbayev the former president who was still ruling behind the scenes that everything went down exactly the way it did. Uh, so this is a report that is uh, basically getting into, uh, into that topic. So let's get her rolling for you. Uh, the question here is, and admittedly, this is the question that a lot of uh, analysts and uh, experts have, is whether or not Takayev is actually going to follow through with that. So uh, let's take a look. And one week of violent protests. There is calm on the streets of Kazakhstan. Finally, the unrest has been ruthlessly crushed. The protesters have returned home, but the story is far from over. There will be a dissection of what happened. How did sleepy Kazakhstan rise up in revolt? Fuel prices, says the government. But you saw the pictures from last week, thousands of people marching on the streets. There was rioting and clashes with the police. That kind of outrage does not happen for fuel. It happens with deep discontent. And at the heart of this discontent is one man, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, president for three decades, godfather of the current Kazakh regime. It's the classic tale of a despot. Nazarbayev kept getting richer, his people kept getting poorer. Kazakhstan has natural reserves worth millions of dollars. They pump out 1.7 million barrels of oil every day. They make up 40% of the world's uranium reserves, but not everyone gets these riches. 162 people make up 55% of Kazakhstan's wealth. In other words, 162 people own more than half the country. At the same time, Kazakhstan's minimum wage is $100 per month. So the ordinary people were not getting rich. Then who was? Nur Sultan Nazarbayev and his family. His second daughter is the majority stakeholder in Kazakhstan's biggest bank. Her stake is $2.8 billion. His grandson's father-in-law owns McDonald's franchisees in Kazakhstan and Belarus. His eldest daughter owns a massive portfolio in Britain. Reports say around 140 million pounds. Nazarbayev was never shy of spending this money. 
From 2011 to 2015, he enlisted the services of former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. He paid Blair's company around $7 million a year. What did he get in return? Some prime ministerial advice, apparently. In 2012, he splurged again. Nazarbayev paid rapper Kanye West $2.7 million. What for? To perform at his grandson's wedding. This man is a mix of dictator and born villain. In 2010, he announced a mission for his scientists to find the elixir of life, basically to make him live longer, or forever, perhaps. Needless to say, they failed. In 2019, at the age of 79, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev had to step down, but not before charting an impressive legacy. Kazakhstan's capital city is now named after him. It was called Astana once, now it is Nur Sultan. He got to handpick the next president. Plus, he got a plum retirement post, chairman of the Security Council. No work, but all the power. Nur Sultan thought he would sail into retirement, that people would celebrate his life, that museums would be built in his name. But the exact opposite has happened. The Kazakh people are on the streets protesting. And this is their slogan, old man out. No spoilers here. The old man is Nur Sultan Nazarbayev. Even his handpicked prodigy has abandoned him. First, he, removed, he was removed from the Security Council. And on Tuesday, the current president fired a rare criticism at Nazarbayev. He blamed his predecessor for the wealth inequality in Kazakhstan. Listen to this. Thanks to the first president, the leader of the nation, a group of very profitable companies and a layer of wealthy people, even by international standards, have appeared in the country. It's easy to dismiss this as an isolated case, but the fact is, there is a message for all autocrats here. What happens when you leave office or if you die in office? Nobody will remember you as the godfather of your nation. They will blame you for their hardships or your successor will dismantle your legacy. It has happened before. And since we're talking about former Soviet states, I'll give you an example from the Soviet Union. In 1956, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev gave a secret speech to his party men. What did he say in that speech? It was basically a condemnation of his predecessor, Joseph Stalin. Khrushchev exposed Stalin's hunger for power, how he tortured and killed millions of people in gulags. When Khrushchev was done, there was utter silence. Rumor is the communist delegates could not even look at each other. This is what awaits most autocrats. If you keep accumulating money, if you keep exploiting your people, if you keep denying democracy, two things will happen. A, the people will topple you, or B, you will be condemned by history. All right. Well, what you think about that, ladies and gentlemen? So, yeah, you got these reports coming out of, uh, you know, uh, this area of the world now, ladies and gentlemen. Um, they're talking about, again, that will be the legacy. So now the main question, like I said, is will President Tokayev fulfill his duties? Um, you know, I was kind of like, well, how did Zelensky do? Um, a lot of uh, it's a mixed bag, actually, with Zelensky. And I'm st I still don't have the full T on that. Uh, I'm still going to have to dig a little bit more. 
uh, into Zelensky because uh, I read some articles as, um, I guess, recent as uh, 2021, mid or early, that he was still taking it down one oligarch at a time. But then there was an August 2021 article that talked about how he had signed basically an executive order uh, that allowed anyone who had been... Um, convicted of uh, corruption all the way down to like theft uh, of having the ability to be pardoned. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it, that's pretty interesting there. Uh, let's take a look at this article here I have for you guys as we examine that question. Oh, this, uh, this, uh, this article here is actually about the coup and the counter coup. Um, and a Russian victory is what it says. Uh, let me think. Um, this article pretty much breaks down everything we've been talking about, so I don't think we have to go through it. Uh, let me see if there's a reason why I put this up here for conversation. Okay, no. No, uh, there, was, there, was, uh, there was some talk in here that uh, uh, Takayev had actually uh, declared that the protesters were um, uh, insurrectionists from another country just so that he could get... Um, the CSTO to go into his uh, into his country. I think that was probably one of the uh, only other things. Uh, but at a point, it says here because Takayev did, uh, Takayev did uh, he did relent. He he did what the people wanted, and when uh, the people it, it, the um, the protests calmed down, but then they rose up again. Uh, that's when they started to find out uh, that apparently they were of course attacking their government buildings. Uh, they had taken the airport. They were well armed and all of that information. So he actually had to wait a few days uh, before he did issue that shoot to kill uh, type of um, um, uh, direction for uh, the armed forces and the security of the Kazakhstan government. Uh, to deploy those measures, which was, uh, those were, those measures were also looked down uh, very bad because, I mean, of course, we see it in Cuba, you know, uh, that's, that stuff happens in Cuba. It happened in the summer, uh, but, um, you know, uh, there was no call of it being some type of an insurrection with a possible coup, uh, just really angry people in Cuba. And um, yeah, well, that's communism for you, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, uh, so I think we can go to the next one. Uh, what President Tokayev has talked about. So uh, this is uh, this is this is about um, his promises or how he feels uh, to fix the country would be best. So let's bring that up for you guys. Uh, let's see uh, how uh, what Tokayev says has talked about and whether Kazakhstan's government is going to take real steps toward reforms. Uh, once the president addressed the nation on uh, July 11th, the hope for massive and long-awaited reforms has sparked in many of the people of Kazakhstan. For example, Takayev has admitted that the market model built by the authorities has little impact on the people. What is even more destructive is that in some spheres, the current system has been serving the interests of certain beneficiaries. The president has promised to put the task of improving people's well-being to the top of the country's high priorities list. 
the cursive edition of is going to observe how far the government is going to go in the pursuit of these promises. So bullet points from his speech. According to President Kasim uh, Jomart Dekayev, the January tragedy in Almaty was caused by deep social and economic problems as well as failures by some state agencies, even though the country's economy generates stable growth of the GDP, especially during fat years. The distribution of the national income is poor. All of you know and understand this very well, he said. Despite quite impressive income on average, there is a huge gap between rich and poor people in the country. There is a rule when an economy is growing, all groups of a population must benefit from this growth. But this simple truth doesn't work in Kazakhstan, the president noted. Takayev has admitted that the only beneficiaries of the economic growth in the country were financial magnates and oligarchs. These oligopolies have limited free market development and decreased the competitive competitiveness of the entire country. Moreover, the current process of privatization is not transparent or systemic, systematic, said Takayev. He has promised to get the task of promotion of free competition under control. Uh, the new economic course is aimed at establishing and developing a modern and socially oriented market-driven economy, Takayev stated. He believes that fair competition must be a crucial part of this economy. Even state support for businesses was mainly focused on big companies, which mainly uh, merely strengthens the oligopoly. Big companies used to thrive thanks to many privileges while causing problems for fair competition and reforms. This system was relying on the principle uh, for my friends, everything for the rest, the law highlighted Takayev. After that, Takayev turned against the development bank of Kazakhstan, the BRK blaming it for serving the interests of a select circle of financial and construction groups. These people had taken advantage of direct access to some powerful figures in favor of their projects. We know them very well, said the president. He has ordered the government to reconsider the approach to the entity's work. On January 14th, three days after the speech, the president's nephew, Kanish uh, Isbastin, resigned from the office of first deputy head of uh, Bateric Holding, the parenting company of BRK. First things first, there is no fair competition in the area of state procurement and cartel agreements are the common practice, said the president. Last year, I ordered to take the pharmaceutical market under control. However, some people want this work to never be done, citing legal loopholes, complained to Kayev. He's admitted that at the level of executive bodies, some of his orders could be sabotaged. The president has also questioned the reasonability of the very existence of the Samruk Kaisna fund due to its lack of transparency. Does the fund fulfill its main task of increasing the national wealth? What have all of those high-paid employees and board members been doing? Are all those expensive consultants and foreign specialists the fund has hired really needed? Said Takayev. He has ordered the cabinet to prepare suggestions on the radical reforming of the quasi-state sector. If there is no option to reform the fund, there is no room for this entity in our economy, stated the head of the state. Diversification of the enemy is not an easy task, but, uh, sorry, of the economy is not an easy task, but it's necessary for a country where the reprocessing industry is so weak, he said. We are still dependent on imports of many products. 
Each year, we see a balance of payments deficit hike in our country. We will still import goods made from aluminum, copper, and machinery manufacturing equipment. Perhaps some are comfortable with the status quo of this situation, added Takayev. The president thinks the government has to identify competitive industries based on what materials and expertise the country has, and then to develop specific projects where foreign investors will be welcomed. This is one of the key tasks of the new government the president highlighted. They had customs issues. The state budget, uh, the state budget desperately needs additional sources of income to stabilize the macroeconomy situation. According to Takayev, there are three options for additional revenue. First, these are mining companies. The president has ordered the government to see how it is possible to increase payments from big mining companies to the state budget. More likely, the president meant KAZ Minerals and ERG. In turn, the government would provide those companies with benefits in the exploration of new sites. Second, these are gasoline producers and all sorts of small agents, which earn extra revenue when the oil prices are high. Takayev believes that the state has to excise, uh, use excise taxes to get more money to the budget. The government has to calculate all of this. The price increase is unacceptable, he says. The third source of income is non-resource based. It is linked to state borders, especially to the border with China, which is well known for the corruption across Kazakhstan's customs point. Um, this has already caused losses of hundreds of millions of dollars. There are some agents that are untouchable. No one from the law enforcement agencies would dare mess with them. Their vehicles haven't been checked and no customs fees have been paid. The disparity in statistics with Chinese customs is about several billion dollars. This is not acceptable, said the president. He's ordered the government to conduct a full-scope inspection and take the customs border under control. According to Telegram channel Tengonomika, over 2018 to 2020, the disparity between Kazakhstan and Chinese customs statistics was about $22 billion. If we assume that the Chinese data are correct, it means that over three years, Kazakhstan's customs downplayed Kazakhstan's export by $4 billion and import from China by $18 billion. The vast majority of illegal flows of goods from China were under the control of Bolat Nazarbayev, younger brother of the former president, according to some Telegram channels. Duty share. Getting back to the topic of unfair distribution of the national wealth, Takayev has called for the establishment of a new public fund, Kazakhstan Halkaina, um, which will be responsible for supporting the health system, education, and social sphere. This may bring the people of Kazakhstan a feeling of social justice. Various lottery operators and uh, to totalizators will be obliged to make payments in favor of the new fund. Of course, we expect serious and regular, I stress regular donations from the big businesses, said Takayev. Those companies and individuals who have made their fortunes during the past 30 years should pay such donations on a regular basis. The government has to identify this circle of donation payers and discuss the size of a contribution to the fund. Thanks to El Basi, the nation's leader and official title of the first president, Nazarbayev, there is a group of wealthy companies and people who are quite rich even by international standards. 
I think this is the right time to pay back to the people of Kazakhstan on a, syst a systematic and regular basis. Moreover, I expect that all other wealthy people who prefer to stay in the shadow to actively participate in this endeavor, the president highlighted. And proven intention. There is no clue how far Kazakhstan authorities are ready to go with reforms. However, Tokayev's uh, address is no doubt revisionist, at least toward the economic course developed by his predecessor. In his speech, the president mentioned two companies that caused his discontent, BRK and Operator ROP. Speaking about the quasi-state entity BRK, Takayev has recommended reconsidering the approach to it. While speaking about the private company, Operator ROP, the order was to take the right to collect car disposal tax from the company and to give it over to the state agency. According to ADATA service, the owner of the Operator ROP is Schnarr, Mukhtarova. However, it's obvious for anyone in Kazakhstan that the real owner of the company is a powerful person. According to some media reports, Alaya Nazarbayev, the youngest daughter of Nazarbayev, might be that person. Moreover, all three sons-in-law of Nazarbayev have lost their high-paid jobs. Uh, as Samruk Kaizna announced on its official website, Dimash Dosanov is no longer head of Kaztrans Oil, while Kairat Sharapbayev has resigned from uh, Quasagaz. In both cases, the job contracts were stopped ahead of schedule on January 14th. Three days after the third son-in-law of the first president, Timur Kulikbaev, announced his resignation from the National Entrepreneurs Chamber, uh, Atamekin. On the same day, Nazarbayev's nephew, Samet Abish, was discharged from the position of deputy head of the Committee for National Security. The family of Nazarbayev has obviously lost its positions in the government and may lose some sources of great income. However, the family's members are still owners of the most lucrative businesses in the country. It is likely that they are those people the President uh, Takayev has required to donate a piece of their fortune to the people of Kazakhstan. It is hard to imagine Kazakhstan's authorities to dare redistribute national assets. The obligation to make donations is not a market-driven action. However, the president may refer to unfair competition that helped the family to make a fortune, and voters are likely to support this idea. Non-market acquired wealth can be understood, for example, as wealth obtained as a result of non-public privatization transactions, uncompetitive access to natural resources and cheap funds, exclusive access to those segments where there is no competition at all, like car recycling, the list of donation payers, the mechanism of their selection, and the size of possible contributions to the fund have yet to be announced. All right, what a mouthful with all of those... Uh, uh, foreign names, uh, but so uh, this is what Takayev is talking about. Uh, now, as the article pointed out, a lot of Nazarbayev's family who were involved in businesses that, you know, they were getting uh, deals on 
because they were working with the government and they had uh, clamped down on uh, public sector competition. Uh, they've been they've been booted. They've been ousted. Um, so that's one 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 aspect of it that we're looking at now. Uh, they mentioned here a business that was a, a car recycler. They collect cars and they recycle them. Uh, and they stated that uh, the um, owner of that was actually the youngest daughter of Nazarbayev. Well, as it so happens, uh, we have an article here about that as well. And uh, this is from uh, ACCA. Now, I'm not going to read this whole article. Uh, what did I do? Whoopsie. Let me go back here real quick. Uh, but just, just a case in point for you guys. Uh, Kazakhstan Nazarbayev's uh, daughter was forced to give up her company to the state. Uh, so we'll just uh, take a gander at a couple of paragraphs here. Uh, the private company EPO Operator, which was engaged in the collection of recycling fees for cars in Kazakhstan, was transferred to the ownership of the state under a donation agreement. That is, it was actually nationalized. Uh, before the nationalization, according to rumors, the company belonged, and no one denied it, to Aliyah Nazarbayev, the youngest daughter of the first president of Kazakhstan, Nursultan Nazarbayev. Uh, the permission for the EPO operator to collect recycling fees was once issued by the then Prime Minister Karim Masamov, who is now under house arrest on suspicion of attempting to carry out a coup d'etat. Uh, and then it goes into the story of uh, of how uh, you know she uh, came to get uh, came to be the owner of the business and how it came to be uh, operated by the government. Uh, like it says here, uh, Karim Masimov, the guy who was arrested, uh, that was Nazarbayev's um, uh, you know eyes and ears in the Takayev administration. Uh, he granted her that, and then uh, you know um, it was given to them, so she was able to uh, basically have. A monopoly on that business and uh, so now they've nationalized it and i think really the only concern here and in a capitalist type of country it would be a concern uh is that he nationalized the business you know he he basically took that out away away from her um you know and so you know a capitalist would be concerned about you don't want you know you don't want that kind of happening kind of thing happening. It's like a, it's, it's like Omarova wanted to do Mr. Sean John. Omarova wanted to nationalize every single bank down to the mom and pops down to like, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, federal credit unions so that every bank was a state owned bank, you know, uh, and then just, you know, close them all down basically, you know, I mean, you, you can't do that. Right. It's like, it's kind of like what we're dealing with right now in our country where, you know, the, uh, the government has basically nationalized all the press and all of the uh, media. I mean, uh, it's not on paper, uh, but I think we all understand what I'm talking about here, guys. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, that was the long and short of that in regards to him keeping up with uh, some of his promises. And, you know, time has to roll by uh, because when I look into that man's eyes, I'm like, a lot of people are like, he's so meek and so mild and he's so soft speaking, this uh, President Tokayev. But I don't know. There's something in his eyes that I feel like he could be a real killer dictator if he wanted to. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound good, right? But, uh, you know, we're just we are just sharing the information here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because it does seem like it does seem like a lot of the countries in that part of the world are trying to or want to fight corruption, you know. Um, and I just feel like in the grand, uh, the grand on the grand chessboard, uh, like um, uh, that is that is uh, that is an issue that 
keeps on popping up when we're talking about uh, the fight between, um, you know, entities that are pro-human uh, and then those who are trying to basically, uh, you know, um, swindle the world into some type of uh, a one world transhumanist organization. Uh, we're not going to read these articles, but I did want to point out the headlines to you. Uh, uh, and again, this is in regards to what uh, President uh, Takayev is doing over there in Kazakhstan now that he's no, long, no longer under the thumb of uh, Nulsartan uh, Nazarbayev. So uh, this article headline says, uh, Kazakh president assigns to audit all fields. So uh, fields of business, banking, all that stuff. Uh, he's assigned uh, people in his government and also who are familiar with the financials uh, to start auditing everything over there. So they're going to start doing that. Uh, this one says, uh, President calls on businesses, a business community to start joint work on building new ec economic policy. So he, again, he's bringing in the public. He's bringing in uh, the, the you know, smaller businesses. A kind of what that reminds me of is like how President Trump would hold meetings and you would have small businesses in attendance there from like, you know, middle America, you know, around the world so that they could give their input. Now, I'm not saying that he's being that comprehensive, uh, but compared to having um, all of these oligarchs and the buddies of the president uh, getting all these sweetheart deals and exclusive uh, exclusivity rights and stuff like that, that's a huge change for the people of Kazakhstan. And then uh, he's also calling for a new tax policy as well. Um, because again, he's going to start taxing businesses more is what uh, it sounds like and what he's saying. Uh, but then, of course, there's also the matter of that monetary fund that um, uh, they will be uh, looking at. And, and that, of course, all of those businesses, all of those oligarchs, all of those people who enrich themselves at the cost of uh, the, the Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan people um, are going to have to pay into it. And uh, it sounds like he's kind of threatening them with uh, exposure to the public in regards to who it is. Because uh, he said, you know, if you want to stay in the shadows, you're going to have to pay, but you're going to have to pay. So we'll see. Uh, the only other thing that is like really hinging here is um, that's just like his economic policy and stuff like that. Um, but is he going to have a change of, you know, you know, other types of policy in regards to uh, the way things are in uh, that part of the world? So uh, let's see here. What do I got for you guys next? We are going to talk about, uh, oh, oh, well, we're, we're just going to go through like a real quick type of uh, history type of thing here, guys, um, because this whole thing, this part of the world is very confusing to me. Okay, guys, I don't know a whole lot about it and I'm learning as I go and just kind of going off of uh, some of the information uh, that, again, I've researched, but then also... Uh, you know, based on what 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 is the hot button over there right now. So the big thing right now, of course, is the entire NATO Russia war. Okay, I'm not even going to say Ukraine. Okay, because I'm still I'm still reading and processing and digesting everything that I've been uh, looking into in regards to um, President Zelensky uh, and his relationship with the United States. Um, I'm willing to bet uh, that that uh, the I'm willing to bet that President Zelensky is just all about 
defeating Russia. You know what I mean? Like, he is all about defeating Russia, but it's because of what happened uh, with the Crimea uh, and also uh, um, uh, the other part of eastern Ukraine where uh, um, you, uh, you have uh, Putin and, and Russia in there as well. So uh, uh, to kind of help myself out with that, I stumbled across this video and I wanted to share it with you guys because I thought it would actually uh, be kind of helpful to understand some of the history uh, between Russia and Ukraine uh, and what was going on in that time. Because as you know, there have been a lot of uh, revolutions. There's been uh, a coup attempt. You know, 2014, apparently... There was a coup that happened that was backed by the West. That's right. The United States and the Allied forces uh, backed this coup in the Ukraine in 2014 um, that uh, traded one corrupt president and one corrupt government for a corrupt Western-backed government. So they had, they installed a corrupt president. That's right, the United States and the Allied forces. They installed a corrupt president, but uh, the benefit here was that this was someone that the West wanted to rule Ukraine. And of course, um, you know, we're talking about, uh, well, it wasn't Poroshenko. Poroshenko came after him, but Poroshenko was corrupt as heck from what I've read about Ukraine and his time there. And then, uh, and then we had President Zelensky in 2019, the uh, former actor-comedian uh, who won by popular vote in uh, Ukraine as a, uh, an, anti-corrupt, an anti-corruption president. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and check this thing out real quick, guys. Uh, this is a video on how Russia lost Ukraine, okay? So let's take a look at this and then we can gab about it a little bit. Ukraine is a flashpoint of tension between Russia and the West. Since the Euromaidan revolution of 2014, fighting with Russian-backed separatists in the east of the country has killed over 13,000 people. The Crimean Peninsula has been occupied and unilaterally annexed. And with Russian troops building up at the Ukrainian border, we can ask, how did we get here? And what does Ukraine mean to Russia? Ukraine is very important to Russia. They trace their common history back nearly a thousand years to the kingdom of Kievan Rus. Its capital, Kiev, still goes by the nickname of Mother of Russian Cities. And for many Russians, including the Russian president Vladimir Putin, Ukraine is part of what he calls historic Russia. And Ukrainians and Russians are one and the same people. Roughly 30% of Ukrainians, mostly in the east of the country, speak Russian as a first language. And 15% of the population considers themselves to be ethnically Russian. And if we consider the borders of both the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union, in the past 300 years, Ukraine and Russia were part of the same country. And throughout that time, it was of strategic importance. Alongside Belarus, it served as a buffer for invasion, like during the Napoleonic Wars and the Two World Wars. The port of Sevastopol in Crimea has been Russia's main warm sea water port. And after being part of the same country for so long, Ukraine was an important industrial base for weaponry. But that was until the Soviet Union broke apart in 1991. Bankrupted by its military operation in Afghanistan, the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, and an inefficient economy, it fell apart after attempts at reform in the 1990s, with nationalist movements across the Union declaring independence. This was the fall of historic Russia. The red flag came down over the Kremlin tonight as President Gorbachev resigned and brought to an end seven decades of communist rule in the Soviet Union. 15 independent states which share only a disastrous economy 
and an uncertain future. The Soviet Union lost its puppet states of the Warsaw Pact, and with the 15 Soviet republics gaining their independence, Russia lost Ukraine. In the space of two years, the map of Eastern Europe went from looking like this to this. In the aftermath, Russia and the other former Soviet republics signed divorce bills to normalize relations and facilitate trade. And in the case of Ukraine, this meant handing over 4,000 nuclear weapons in exchange for guarantees to its borders and sovereignty. The fall of the Soviet Union would also lead to new relations between Russia and the West, but these relations deteriorated from what Russia saw as Western advancement in its sphere of influence. When we look at changes to the map since the end of the Cold War, NATO went from looking like this to this, reducing the strategic buffer that Russia had from more than 2,000 kilometers to less than 1,000. For Russia, this was the breaking of what they say was a promise by the West to leave Russia its sphere of influence. It's a promise the US and NATO deny ever existed, but despite it having never been formalized, and Russia now exaggerating how it was formulated, it is clear that on some level there was the expectation that this would be the case. And that is where Ukraine enters the discussion. After the fall of the Soviet Union, it attempted to keep a balance between Russia and the West, avoiding integration with either. While many of the former states joined regional organizations led by Russia, Ukraine mostly stayed away. But the country was deeply corrupt and controlled by oligarchs. And following an election widely reported as rigged by Western observers in 2004, a large protest movement called the Orange Revolution took to the streets. In part due to Western support for the protesters, the election was rerun, and the reformist opposition led by Viktor Yushchenko won. This marked the beginning of a rapprochement between Ukraine and the West. The country was invited to become part of NATO in 2008, and it joined the EU's Eastern Partnership in 2009. But in 2010, the reformists who were damaged by political infighting between the president and the prime minister lost the election to Viktor Yanukovych. It's at that point that Ukraine had to decide either between closer ties with the EU or Russia. This led the two blocs to compete for influence in the country. Ukraine, which had signed an association agreement with the EU, broke it off to pursue an agreement with Russia. This triggered the Euromaidan protests. Pro-EU protesters asked for the deal with the European Union to be put back on track. After the government's violent crackdown, the protests turned into a revolution. And the protesters, who initially had the backing from EU leaders, went on to overthrow Yanukovych's government. Few would have predicted the speed of events. Parliament voting President Viktor Yanukovych out of office. It split the country and triggered backlash, mostly in the Russian East. These two revolutions angered Russia, who viewed them in the context of an expanding US sphere of influence in Eastern Europe. In response to Euromaidan, Russian troops invaded Crimea securing the strategic port of Sevastopol. Russia says it needs to defend the Crimean Peninsula from a potential attack by NATO. But that's not the only reason it has brought the big guns here. A year and a half after the annexation, the Kremlin started operations in Syria. It hastily organized a referendum to justify annexing the peninsula, where 96% of people voted to join Russia. But with a large portion of Crimeans considering themselves to be Russian, the result would have likely been the same if it had been a legal one. 
Russia also backed separatists in the east of the country to destabilize Ukraine and prevent it from getting closer to the west. Ukraine's disorganized army relied on a series of militia groups, some with far-right leanings to defend its border, and it led to a seven-year conflict with civilians paying a heavy price by indiscriminate bombing. And while in 2015, both Russia and Ukraine settled on a peace agreement called Minsk II, which sought to find a political settlement and reunite Ukraine with the separatist provinces, it has mostly stalled, and eastern Ukraine has turned into a frozen conflict. In response, the European Union and the United States have imposed sanctions that have isolated and weakened the Russian economy. Those sanctions and the status of Ukraine continue to poison relations between Russia and the West. But in March 2021, Russia started deploying unprecedented amount of troops near the Ukrainian border. And while it wasn't the first time that Russia organized military exercises in the region, this time something had changed. So why after seven years was the situation so different? The answer is Ukraine. Since 2014, its democracy has been consolidated, moving up in international rankings. The country has also grown more assertive towards Russia. In a series of controversial language laws since 2016, it has removed the Russian language from media, business, and education. Crimea, which is cut off from the mainland, faces severe water shortages. Ukraine's army has modernized with American anti-tank missiles and Turkish drones. And as Russia seeks to integrate those living in separatist regions, giving passports to those living there, Ukraine increasingly sees the Minsk II agreement as a potential Russian Trojan horse in its politics. And its improved military has sparked Russian fears that Ukraine could retake the separatist regions by force. In November 2021, Russia started moving even more troops to the border, prompting concerns of an invasion. And while both European and American leaders talked of raising the cost of intervening in Ukraine, they refused to intervene militarily. But Russia has made a series of demands going beyond Ukraine, asking for security guarantees that would effectively push NATO's border back and reestablish its buffer, turning back the clock to 1999. Western leaders view this as Russia attempting to reestablish its sphere of influence in Eastern Europe and in the former Soviet Union, like with the Russian interventions in Kazakhstan and Belarus. But with Russian troops at the border and the failure of negotiations, what comes next for a Ukraine that increasingly looks to the West remains uncertain. There you go, guys. That is just a little... That video helped me understand it more. Um, I, think, I think I was able to put my head around more where Zelensky plays into this. Because like I said, Zelensky ran on an anti-corruption platform. Uh, you know, and um, he seems or seemed to have been doing the right thing. So I don't understand why he would really get in bed with, um, you know, like uh, Biden, for example. But at the same time, you know, uh, they can't uh, they can't really play, you know, uh, political games with uh, the things that are going on with us. Like it, that's something we got to deal with. We have to deal with this corrupt uh, and well, I mean, this this fake administration, right? Uh, and all we know of is that uh, you know um, Zelensky and Trump, you know, they had their conversation uh, and stuff like that. And then uh, Trump was uh, what he was uh, he was uh, they tried to crucify him for it, um, you know. But uh, th there were some other stories towards the end of uh, twenty nineteen twenty twenty where uh, they were talking about uh, Zelensky uh, shooting back at Trump uh, not to be calling his, his country corrupt. Uh, but, but as far as uh, the, um, the rhetoric or the animus of Zelensky towards Putin, 
it really, I believe, has to do with that. It's like a, it's a backlash. It's a response to what happened in 2014 in Crimea and also in the Donbass region, which is eastern Ukraine, where, as they pointed out in the video, you have Russia backing separatists in Ukraine. Uh, and so that's where I think a lot of that tension is coming from. Now, Biden and uh, Zelensky, I believe, have met twice and they've had some phone calls. Um, and most recently, I had seen an article where uh, they were talking about having a, uh, a trilateral meeting between Biden, Zelensky and Putin. I don't know how effective a meeting like that would be uh, with Biden in the middle of it, especially when he's already uh, mussing up all of these things and, and basically uh, w was basically writing off uh, everything that Russia was doing um, in Ukraine in spite of the fact that you have the deep state department uh, saying that Russia is being continually aggressive. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll we'll have to see if that happens. I don't know if uh, Biden's puppets are going to grant President Zelensky that type of an audience or a meeting. Um, but one thing is for sure, though, uh, this conflict, I believe, is accelerating more so uh, because of uh, of NATO's desires uh, to uh, to get into war. Uh, I mean, it's it is the Western back, the globalist elite. They are the ones who need a war. Uh, it's the only way that they can derail or sidetrack or distract the people who are watching and who are reading and who are paying attention uh, to what is going on right now in this country. Uh, and you could say around the world, but I think I think everyone else outside of America is pretty, uh, you know, they're pretty um, they're pretty ignorant to what we're going through in this country right now, um, particularly when we're talking about the area of uh, exposing and also uh, correcting uh, the fraud that happened in the 2020 general election, uh, because uh, we are literally paving that path right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are paving paving the path to rectifying the 2020 general election without getting into a bloody revolution and without uh, spilling any blood or any type of coup or going into martial law because I've said it several times, you know, had the military dropped down out of the sky on January 20th, we would have had a Myanmar here and uh, the globalist would have eaten that up. They would have eaten it up because they would have had everyone who is on their side and brainwashed washed um, and who don't know any better, uh, you know, taking taking their side and taking to the streets. And, you know, we would have had a bloody civil war if that had happened. And uh, the, the press would have touted it as what? They would have touted it as a coup um, and uh, a military coup by President Trump. And that just would not look good. What a stain on our history. You know, they would have put that in the uh, history books. You know, they would have put that in the history books as uh, the far right, uh, the far right and uh, racist homophobes. And you're talking to a gay Hispanic here, right? Uh, you know, who are uh, on Trump's side going against uh, all of the righteous Democrats and, and uh, whatever minority groups they care to butter up to at the time. Uh, so there's no telling what those history books would have looked like. Uh, but as far as Zelensky goes, I think that's about where I'll settle on that for now until I do some more 
intensive reading onto the subject, particularly in regards to his past. Because like I said, right now in Ukraine, they have uh, the former president of Ukraine, Poroshenko, who is absolutely one of the most corrupt presidents that they have ever had. Uh, They've had violent uprisings in Ukraine because of Poroshenko. Um, uh, He's he is back. And uh, it seems like they are heralding him as some type of savior against Russia. And that only fits in with the narrative that Russia bad and aggressor and, uh, you know, Ukraine needs all the help that it can get. Um, I don't think at this point, you know, we're going to see... I I bet you we're not going to see NATO uh, allowing Ukraine to get into NATO, uh, but they sure are prov- provoking Russia a lot. And and we know that because I've already shown you guys the articles about all of the military arms and equipment that they're moving into Ukraine. And I've already shown you the articles about all of the money. It's coming in by the billions to uh, fund Ukraine in military assistance. So all of that is a provocation. Um, will they go to war? I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, as far as I can see, as calculating and as uh, reserved as Putin might be, he's not going to back down, obviously. Um, and, and it's pretty obvious the reasons why Putin is not going to back down. Uh, think about it this way. You know, if we had um, if we if we were in the same situation under a President Trump uh, administration and uh, you had NATO or some some force like that, uh, you know, um, sending money and establishing troops on the border of Mexico or Canada. And, uh, you know, President Trump started sending troops to our borders. And then you have NATO and the globalist press saying, well, Trump's being uh, Trump is being uh, aggressive. He, he's threatening to uh, to take over the rest of Mexico or to claim the entirety of North America. You know, but Trump would be saying, no, we have to put these troops here because obviously you guys could do a military strike on us. You know, it's and as Putin has said, it's for the security of his people. If he were to back down, not only would he look weak, which is, you know, Putin's not going to he's not going to look weak, guys. I mean, I've heard he's an egomaniac. I don't doubt it. Do you really think he's going to back down from a from a fight like that? Okay, so he backs down, right? He he ends up looking weak. And uh, do you think Trump would back down is also my question here, right? But the other thing is, what if he backs down and they do attack? What if he backs down and then NATO sends in all of these troops into the Donbass area where they are uh, backing up separatists? And basically, I mean, it's kind of like they're trying to reclaim that area. Uh, Again, you got like, what, 60% of people or more who are Russian there? Um, and, uh, And from what I've read also, particularly in that region, they want to be part of Russia again. And the same thing happened in Crimea, okay? So, uh, and again, I'm not taking sides. I'm just stating facts, okay, based on what I've read. Um, so uh, just just if you lay those two examples on top of each other, um, you were seeing the same thing with President Trump when he was in office, and you were seeing the same aggression from the press, which was all, which was all spin uh, and a lot of it propaganda, um, but but in the same instance with with Russia and Putin, I mean, they NATO could strike that eastern uh, part of Ukraine and wipe out all of the Russians in there. Uh, maybe they could go further into Russia. Who knows? But um, 
I don't, I don't think Putin's going to back down. Um, and I couldn't tell you if there's going to be a war or not. Um, cause I don't know Putin that well, but, but what I can tell you for a fact is in this instance, the American people are being lied to because as we saw, as illustrated in this, uh, in this video here, uh, NATO has, uh, advanced more and more towards Russia with all of their allies and all of their weapons and all of their money. And uh, that was not what they had agreed on based on their understanding. And we already watched a video about that as well. Um, and uh, that in fact, it, it had nothing to do with NATO membership. It has everything to do with the military power that they are moving closer to their border. I'm sure Ukraine could be a member of NATO as long as they don't have all of their weapons stationed right there on the border. And then it wouldn't be a problem. But in this instance, it seems like NATO is wagging a carrot in front of, you know, a very hungry, hungry horse. And uh, they're provoking him and they're calling him the aggressor because he's a uh, counter, you know, countering their move by setting up troops on their border. Anyways, guys, so let's move off that topic here. Just getting that uh, little bit of history uh, in tonight's show about that developing story. What do I got next for y'all? We're going to talk about this. Okay. Not that, but th where's this at anyways? Let me make sure I got this right here for you. All right. So COVID-19 and the uh, vaccine and the United Kingdom. And we're going to wrap up tonight's report with this story, guys. Thanks for joining us here for another edition of the Sea Report. Um, okay, so uh, we talked a bit about yesterday about um, uh, Boris Johnson and the United Kingdom and how they're uh, calling off majority restrictions on COVID-19 that uh, their people have been uh, uh, locked down with, chained with, uh, forced to deal with. <laughs> yeah, teasing the rabbit. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know... Uh, how the world's going to respond to that, uh, we have yet to see. Uh, from what I understand, there are other countries in Europe who are also easing their restrictions on COVID-19 and, and the requirement of this vaccine and the vaccine passport. So we got into a little bit of a conversation about... Um, about why they're doing this. Uh, you know, why now have they decided to do it? What did we come up with? Uh, because they're going to release another variant and then they're going to blame Boris Johnson on the death of the United Kingdom uh, because um, they're trying to change the storylines and the narrative to flip it to something else here in the States. Why? Because uh, we have uh, elections coming up and they want to they wanna ease off of this because after all, uh, Joe Biden, he, he did not live up to his promise of ending COVID-19 like he said he was gonna. All of those reasons. Well, another reason floated across my desk last night. Uh, and this actually had to do with, um, this actually had to do with investigations into uh, the COVID vaccine, uh, if you want to call it that. We call it a gene therapy serum here at the C-Report. Uh, but uh, investigations into the criminality uh, that could be possible surrounding these vaccines. Uh, let's see here. And, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I had to do a little bit of digging into it. Uh, so what I came up with was first this article uh, from the Epoch Times of all places. This was the root article that I had found whenever I was reading all these other articles about 
the COVID-19 vaccine and an investigation happening in the United Kingdom. So let's take a gander, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really interested to know what you guys think about this one. Okay. Yes, I can add a user, but I'm not right now. Okay. Can I get a... Uh... Can I get an easy read screen, please? Ah, yes. So from the Epoch Times, it says uh, UK government officials face police investigation over COVID-19 vaccines. Now, yes, I, I, I looked more into this. Uh, and when I was doing my searches, I could find only two websites that debunked this, uh, this investigation. Uh, the fact that it came from uh, the Epoch Times, though, uh, was a little bit more reassuring to me because any time I searched this topic, I could only find those like like those websites that, you know, uh, don't don't receive the same clout as being an actual like journalistic type of, uh, you know, um, venue, uh, the, more like the blog types, you know, like, like, uh, you know, uh, 911truth.com. And then it'd be like a UK, you know, or like, I don't know, like, uh, vaccines are bad for you.com or uh, listen to the people.com. Like those blog type websites were the only places I could find these articles. And then, huh, here we go. We have one from the Epoch Times. So let's take a look at this and, uh, you guys can chew on this for a minute. But this is happening in the United Kingdom, apparently. Um, so um, government officials face police investigation over COVID vaccines. It says uh, Dr. Sam White and members of his uh, legal team visit, uh, visited Charing Cross and Hammersmith police stations in London on Monday, December 20th in their latest efforts to expose what they claim are serious safety issues regarding the COVID, the COVID vaccines. Uh, they are also accusing UK government agencies of knowingly withholding information from the British public. PJH Law presented a criminal complaint containing significant and irrefutable evidence, which was accepted by the Metropolitan Police. As a result, a crime reference number has been issued for misconduct in public office and a designated officer and police department has been allocated to deal with it. The lawyers acting on behalf of Dr. White stated of paramount importance and as a matter of public safety, we as a collective have demanded the vaccine rollout is stopped immediately and we suggested an address to the nation is made by the Metropolitan Police to advise accordingly. They added, a number of government departments and in particular individuals in public office and government have been named as offenders and we have supported evidence. Their interview with the police lasted six hours and was recorded, but this is not being released to avoid prejudicing uh, what is now a live criminal investigation. White stressed to the police that UK doctors, nurses, and care workers are also being blackmailed to take the vaccine or lose their job. The deadline the government has set for healthcare workers to be fully vaccinated is April 1, 2022. This date is better known as April Fool's Day, when practical jokes are traditionally played, but White and his colleagues say there's nothing funny about forcing people to take a not fully tested vaccine or lose their jobs. Okay. 
interesting article there. So uh, uh, from this article, what you would surmise is that there is an official type of investigation now happening in the United Kingdom regarding the uh, implementation of these vaccines. Um, Oh, let me see here. So, you know, like I said, uh, that, I mean, that is a good thing. And then I thought maybe maybe this has something to do with the United Kingdom, uh, you know, um, deciding that they're going to ease on their uh, COVID restrictions. So um, I found this article as well. Now, apparently the people involved in this lawsuit have also submitted it to the International Criminal Court and The Hague. So The Hague is also involved in this as well. Um, now, again, to talk about the uh, the fact checkers, I found two fact checker websites. Uh, they said that um, a CR or a criminal referral is not evidence of an open investigation. Uh, that was what they said. That's how they kind of deflated it. Uh, they said they called the Metropolitan Police. I don't know how much of that is true or not, um, but I'm just sharing this information with you guys because, well... Uh, I thought it was uh, pretty interesting to know. Uh, this article from January 6th uh, says, Today I submitted 1,100 pages of evidence to Hammersmith CID. So uh, we'll take a look at this one. Uh, and it says, um, it says, uh, Today I submitted 1,100 pages of evidence to Hammerstein CID. Two excellent detectives accepted and signed for the paperwork. They confirmed the crime report is now significant and very lengthy. A number of other world experts have added their details and support. And again, they were acknowledged by the Met Police. Uh, Mark Steele provided a massive amount of evidence relating to the damage the vaccine is causing. The superintendent acknowledged Mark's submission. Philip Highland, Lois Bliss, uh, Bayliss, Dr. Sam White, and others behind the scenes are working around the clock providing evidence, statements, and support. Another demand was made to stop uh, the vaccine program immediately. This was added to the crime report again and verbalized. Due to the amount of evidence and allegations being made and against who this is going to be, be a huge and lengthy investigation, I'm sure we all know that. Michael O. Bernicia and his team have added their weight and support to this criminal investigation. The evidence they possess is vast is vast and significant with regards to uh, midazolam and the deaths-slash-murders attributed to this drug. Michael has emailed the Met directly outlining the evidence they have and of the legal team he is working with. This is on the understanding his involvement in this investigation does not compromise the PCP he submitted to the courts on the uh, 12th of December 2021. Uh, of note and huge, hugely significant allegations were made of the most serious crimes being committed by a number of named governors, min governor, ministers, government ministers, civil servants, and the bosses of United Kingdom news networks. Uh, and the crimes being cited are, and we will, well, you, you guys are going to hear what these crimes are in a minute, okay? So we'll go ahead and uh, skip past that. Uh, it says, uh, we must get this criminal investigation into public domain as soon as possible and the ICC application. We need to be messaging the BBC and Sky News in the thousands to force their hand and air this to the masses. Put pressure on the police, stop the vaccine, and arrest those responsible as soon as possible. Uh, despite our best efforts, Sadiq Khan has not replied to the emails or returned our phone calls as promised by his office. 
uh, and then it goes on to tell you how to email the BBC and Sky uh, News. So this is really this is really isolated to the United Kingdom right now, guys. And uh, like I said, uh, I for one don't know if this is a true investigation. Um, we know that uh, they have actually been filing these lawsuits, I think, as early as uh, August. Uh, but then this video turned up, guys. So I actually I'm going to share this video with you all. Um, because, uh, as I was reading, as I was reading the fact checkers, guys, as I was reading the fact checkers, uh, they were going on about a phone call. And uh, apparently during this phone call, uh, you know, they were talking with, uh, it was someone talking with an officer, uh, but they, uh, they, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't tell you whether or not it was a, a fake phone call or a real phone call, if it was a staged phone call or recording. Uh, but like I said, then this video came across my desk last night. It caught my attention and I wanted to share it with you all. If any of you guys have any information on this, uh, that I might not have, I, I would ask you to kindly share that. Uh, but I'm interested to know what you all think about it. And we'll see, guys. I don't know uh, if this investigation is for real, for real, um, or if uh, it is debunked or what. Um, I can tell you for a fact, there is no press talking about this investigation if it is real. Uh, we only have two fact checkers and a whole bunch of uh, blog type of news sites. Um, uh, nothing that you would consider accredited or independent, uh, like we see over here in the States, except for the Epoch Times, which delivered this information. Um, okay, so I'm going to go and play the video now, guys, and, uh, well, we'll call it a wrap after that. So we know who you are. Can I first ask, are you acting under your oath today? What, as in the oath? Your oath you took us a... Yes, good. And um, for the record, can we have your name and your badge number? And also, are you stationed here in this police station? Yep, so my name's Steve Wynn. My collar number is 1524. And yes, I am stationed at Market Harbour Police Station. Okay, thank you. So the reason we're here today, and you may or may not know this, I I gather maybe not. Okay. the COVID-19 vaccinations yep. are now under criminal investigation with CID police station in Hammersmith in London. So, you know, Met Police investigation. This has come about as a result of the catastrophic death and injury figures to both adults and children across the UK. Yeah. We have a Metropolitan Police case number, which I can give to you later. Yeah. Also, this case has been acknowledged by the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Yeah. We have an application reference number for that as well. The filing has been acknowledged by the International Criminal Court on the 6th of December 2021. Yeah. We also have 1,100 pieces of evidence to present to you today. To me. Well, we can email it <laughs> okay. over, you know. Because again, obviously, you, you, I mean, you, you've, all, you've already got the Hague and the Met Police dealing with it. And I'm not saying we won't look at it, but yes. obviously, I'm a small player compared to of some course. of the characters. Yes, yeah, of so. course. But, you know, just letting you know yeah, we have the evidence fine. to yeah. forward to you if you need it. So, as far as we're aware, all chief constables around the UK should now be aware of this case because, of course, it's an international situation. Yeah. Um, and that is why we are here today, to ensure that you here at this police station and in the surrounding areas are aware of, and are upholding 
your duty and oath to protect the people of the UK. Okay. Um, this, there is significant and irrefutable forensic evidence and hundreds of witness statements from victims, whistleblowers and experts to confirm serious harm, injury and death caused by the COVID-19 vaccines. This evidence is currently being gathered by Hammersmith Police. It is my understanding that they are overwhelmed with the amount of people coming forward to make statements. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you were wondering, which I'm sure you are, why you have not yet heard about this, there is a deliberate... Just a quick one. I'm going to have stuff. Yeah, that's fine. Obviously, I've pressed this... I'm, I'm passing this lady's details on to the inspector. Yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Fine, Martin. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. There is a deliberate blanket campaign of misinformation underway by the government and the mainstream media. Yeah. The UK government controls mainstream media and senior government ministers, civil servants and the media are implicated in the following alleged crimes and evidence to support that has been submitted to Hammersmith CID. Crimes being cited are misfeasance in public office, misconduct in public office, conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm, conspiracy to administer a poisonous and noxious substance to cause serious harm and death, gross negligence manslaughter, corporate manslaughter, corruption, fraud, blackmail, murder, conspiracy to commit murder, terrorism, genocide, torture, crimes against humanity, false imprisonment, multiple breaches of our human rights, war crimes, multiple breaches of the Nuremberg Code 1947, multiple breaches of the Human Rights Act 1998, and I believe treason will also be added to that list a little later on down the line. Mm -hmm. I just have a step That's fine. <laughs> Two seconds, sorry. Quite a, quite a long list, to be fair. It is, yes. So, as you can see, this could potentially be the world's largest criminal investigation. Yep. It is now underway. Okay. It is just beginning. And it is also taking place in numerous countries around the world. And the evidence is overwhelming and irrefutable. Mm -hmm. So... In accordance with Section 3 of the Criminal Law Act 1967, we, no, we now call upon you to assist us in the closure of all vaccine centres within your jurisdiction. The Criminal Law Act 1967 Section 3 states, a person may use such force as is reasonable in the circumstances in the prevention of crime or in affecting or assisting in the lawful arrest of offenders or suspected offenders or of persons unlawfully at large. These gene therapy drugs are the murder weapon. 
This is the weapon that the UK government is using to hurt, maim and kill millions of people in the UK. The evidence must be seized by the police as part of this investigation. It is incumbent upon you to do that without fail in all pure police jurisdictions around the UK. The Criminal Law Act 1967 gives any man or woman the authority and the power to prevent crime. We also have authority to use force as is reasonable, necessary and proportionate in order to prevent that crime from happening. You may be resistant to this. However, there is now a live criminal investigation in place. You have a duty to protect the people. You are public servants who we pay with public taxes and public money. You work for us. If crime, injury, serious harm and death is being committed, it is incumbent upon you in your office of constable on oath which you swore to protect us, the people, from said harm. If you are in, in attendance, it is your duty to gather evidence and seize the weapon, which in this case are the vaccine vials. These vaccine vials should then be taken into protective custody and detained in your property evidence stores to be independently forensically tested as a matter of urgency. This is a fact in law. <laughs> the law is the same whether you are a police constable in uniform or whether you are a citizen, a man or woman that is sovereign. The police have a duty. That duty is to respond and act accordingly. If the police fail to do their job, they are committing an offence of misconduct in public office and perverting the course of justice. If they know offenders are responsible for these crimes and they do anything to assist those offenders or prevent the, those crimes from being detected or deliberately frustrate the criminal investigation, they are also guilty of an offence of assisting a known offender. May I remind you that you work for the people. You do not work for the government. It is the government ministers, the civil servants and the media bosses who are committing these disgusting and heinous atrocities against millions of people throughout the United Kingdom. It is ridiculous to expect us to address member of members of parliament. They are the very people committing these crimes. We do not speak to the offenders. That is the job of the police and these people must be arrested. So we now demand that you assist us in forcing all vaccine centers within your jurisdiction to cease and desist with immediate effect. We expect you to be in attendance with us at local vaccine sites so that we can bring a halt to any further crimes, serious harm, injury and death. We also demand that you make an official public statement to the people of the UK, making them aware of this criminal investigation, 
warning of the dangers of this experimental drug and inviting them to come forward to provide further evidence of vaccine injury, harm and death. And finally, we can now provide you with all the legal documents in relation to this case, the crime numbers, any forensic evidence you may need, uh, so that we can swiftly move this case forward. Okay, thank you. I mean, if, if you've got a crime number from the mail, I'll quite happily take that. Yeah. So, the crime number is... Two seconds. That's fine. Uh, where do I put it? Okay, it is six zero two nine six seven nine slash two one. And this is from Hammersmith. It is, yes, CID. Lovely. Um, are you looking to make a report in addition to last year police as well? Are you happy that's been dealt with by Hammersmith? Um, we want all police stations around the country to be actively involved in this investigation. And that is where that ends. So, uh, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That video, I think, is making its rounds uh, around the internet. Uh, but I just so happened to uh, come across that last night. Um, from what I have read, there have been no vaccine sites that have been shut down in the United Kingdom. Of course, if there have been, um, it's not being reported so again, that would just be speculation on uh, on my part to say that. But uh, you know, I think that is. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I would probably start to uh, relieve some of my uh, constituents and members of my country if uh, suddenly that I knew that there was some type of an investigation. But again, guys, so uh, I would take that with a grain of salt because a lot of people are debunking it right now and uh, I do, or they are debunking it right now. And like I said, the uh, crime number that's referenced here does exist, uh, but, um, you know, they, they have stated that that is uh, a reference number to the report that has been filed, but that does not necessarily mean that an investigation has been opened. So, I mean, I guess you can do that as you will. Uh, but in fact, the uh, the Hague or the International Criminal Court, Crime Court, they have received documentation. Um, actually, I think that was the last thing I was going to share with you all before we wrap it up tonight. Uh, but this is um, lawyer, lawyers worldwide submit new evidence to International Criminal Court alleging world leaders and scientific advisors have used COVID-19 and the injections to commit genocide and crimes against humanity. And that's dated August number, August number 8th, August 18, uh, when this came out. So uh, we do have a group of people uh, who, uh, scientists and doctors and, uh, and lawyers who have been actively um, uh, trying to get this uh, ball rolling. I don't know what else all that will entail um, and whether or not this investigation is official. Um, you know, I could just, I was just sitting there wondering, like, if this is a fake, uh, like, what is this about then? Do we have uh, per maybe perhaps uh, people who, who started to file this just sent this woman to random police stations or all the police stations in the area trying to get them on board with this? Or, or maybe she was just, um, you know, kind of prepping the way, as it were, uh, for, um, uh, for what's to come.
I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but I thought it was uh, it was important to share. Um, if if at least not for uh, creating that mental pathway to a very possible future, you know, it helps us visualize it more, ladies and gentlemen. All right, guys. So uh, I'll go ahead and leave it there for you all tonight. And uh, we will uh, we will be back at it with the C report again on Monday. Um, as we begin to roll out the last week of January. Uh, but in the meantime, and in between times, ladies and gentlemen, uh, join us, if you will, tonight for another episode of Mr. C in the Dark. Uh, we will have Java online with us tonight as uh, well, there's no telling what we're going to get into, but uh, it, it'll be along the topic of, um, uh, well, what this month is, ladies and gentlemen. You know what this month is, don't you? I hope you all remember. Okay, we'll see you guys again uh, probably in about an hour or so. And, uh, well, we will be back. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as we say here over at the C Report and the C Studios and the C Chats, uh, you guys have a great night. Be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We will see you next time.